Welcome to the Marshall Proof Podcast, your week in IndyCar guest episode, and we sure have a great guest for you. One of our favorites, that being Kara Adams. I don't even know how to describe your official title at Firestone. I think we all just assume the woman who makes great stuff <laughs> and makes people happy and then educates us with really smart words, either on TV or with written items or on this silly podcast. Folks love having you on the show. Super happy to have you back. Hey, super to be great to be back, Marshall. And I think they just keep adding words to my, my title. They keep giving me more and they keep giving words. But we'll go with something like Director of Race Tire Engineering and Manufacturing for Firestone Racing. That's all, right? That's not much. Good <laughs> Lord. Well, thanks as always to our partners, great partners, Cooper Tires, who look after the road to Indy, Justice Brothers, and also TorontoMotorsports.com. I took a look, and I feel so silly, Kara, because it feels like you're an ever-present person on the show because we get questions so often on the listener Q&A related to either you, tires, or both. I looked, and it's been 366 days, a year and one day since your last week in IndyCar visit, so... Blame me. I'm so dumb. We're gonna. I'm not going to wait that long anymore. I apologize. I was guessing about a year. So, yeah, right on there. That's good. And sixth visit altogether. So do appreciate you uh, accepting my silly invites. Why don't we do this? You got work to do, right? I know that there's a little break here in IndyCar, but that doesn't mean the work stops on your end. So why don't <laughs> we uh, jump right into some great questions that have come in. Start with a theme that is dear to your heart. Mine as well, and one that you are a visible and enduring champion of, and that is women in motor racing, STEM education, tying those two together. Got some great items here, starting off with Dylan Burgett, Kara. Says, I'm a father to two young daughters. One loves math. The other one thinks she might want to be a, quote, car fixer. I love that term. That's great. Do you have any suggestions for things I can do to help foster and maintain an interest in STEM activities and careers for his girls? Well, Dylan, first of all, thank you for being a wonderful parent. Um, Obviously, if your girls are interested in math and car fixing, I feel like that's a great start. Um, There are so many resources out there, anything from um, the Girl Scouts have some great programs if your kids are younger, and there's some phenomenal things online. And there are some, if we're talking math and science and and car fixing, there are some great women in the IndyCar series that you can can even follow on social media. Um, We have a couple of mechanics. I like car fixers better. We're going to go with that. Yes. But mechanics in the series. Um, we've had Jessica Mace, who's been there forever. Um, you have some of the Grace Autosport girls, and there's a mechanic from AMSP now, um, Gracie Hackenberg. She's new to the series. She's doing great. There's a lot of people to look up to and to follow. What I always recommend is ask questions. Don't be afraid to have your girls reach out to people in areas that they think are interesting and ask lots of questions. Depending on what ages they are, there are some awesome science camps out there that we really love. So um, anything like that's awesome. Would also need to say and just recognize you and the growing number of awesome women in really important roles on pit lane that you not saying you're the only leader there, Kara, but we will acknowledge that, boy, if you want to talk about, you know, if we're talking uh, a scouting troop, you are certainly <laughs> corralling and making sure that whenever uh, a, a win happens, that you on social media as well 
are pointing that out and saying, hey, she just won her first race. She does this for this team or that uh-huh. manufacturer. You make sure to get the group together for an annual photo at the Indy 500. You, on top of your day job, <laughs> you're really consistent and very unwavering in making sure that uh, as the women on pit lane have personal achievements and as more women uh, find their way into IndyCar, you're there, you're supporting, you're championing them. And I just hope you know how much uh, myself and many others appreciate that fact that uh, you're being that voice to ensure that folks are seeing the important developments happening Maybe one day you won't even have to do that anymore because it will be so darn uh-huh. normal. Well, thanks, Marshall. And I know you actually highlighted the, the two ladies at Detroit that won. Um, we had Katie, we had both Kate and um, and Angela. Both their teams won, and both of the they were on the pit stands for those two teams. So um, people like you that are featuring this, the people that are listening and getting excited about it, it's really, really, really great. And, you know, there are leaders developing within that team. Um, uh, Kate is turning out to be a great leader for a lot of the other women that are there as well. So um, people go to each other for questions and encouragement. And um, it's really great to see this this group of women just work so hard. And they're not, you know, they don't need to prove themselves, but their work stands on their own. The fact that they're in the victory circle and the fact that you see, you know, it's first started out with a couple of mechanics with Ganassi and now it's getting out to other teams and now other teams are realizing, Hey, having this diversity in our, in our team might actually make us better. There's different people and different viewpoints and different opinions and people think different ways and getting that diversity there helps us from that group think, as you know, my grandfather worked at NASA. So, you know, they're very familiar with, uh, with group think and, and what it can do. If everybody is thinking the same way, you get more diversity and more, more points of view in there i think it helps everyone i recently learned that kate's last name gunlack uh translates to ass kicking so that's one thing that i recently <laughs> learned but right. yeah, see i like it and just stay here for a second and this isn't a cause this is just trying to add some clarity to maybe some of the noise too often read derisive dismissive comments from i'll use air quote fans when we're talking about hey a black person driver or whatever achieved something let's recognize and celebrate that for the rarity but also the hope that this will become normal a woman achieved something in motor racing again we're talking indycar so let's say an indycar but oh whatever tokenism and whatnot can you share just a little bit of a, a a deeper refinement on hey a diversity hire no what we're doing what for those of us who are doing such things, there's a final recognition that if everybody in the team looks the same, speaks the same, is kind of matchy-matchy in the same, you're actually not being the best version of yourself because, not just because the person might look different than you in terms of ethnicity or might be a different gender, more often than not, by not trying to have everyone be the same, you're probably going to find some gems in knowledge, perspectives, education, talent, whatever that was lacking because you're no longer just trying to do this with everything being identical. 
Yeah, I think you said it. You said it probably better than I could say it. Um, there's just so much you can get in a different perspective, um, whether it's a different culture or a different way you're looking at things. Um, if you had a whole team of Kara Adamses, it would not be a good diverse team. We would end up thinking in one direction and we would miss big blind spots. So you have to have that diversity. It really, really helps out. And each one of these women, they are the most qualified person from the, for the job that I know. And it wasn't that they were hired because hey hey, you know, all right, Ganassi had a female, maybe we need to have a female too, or, or Honda had a female, maybe we should as well. Um, they are hired because they're the best candidates for the job. So I think I think that's, that's great. Um, and honestly, though, trying to recruit more females, more um, African-Americans, more people into the sport is a good thing. You see, one of the things that I saw during the Indy 500, and it almost brought tears to my eyes, you know, we have so many women that are there and who have been there and in the trenches for so long and have the Pareto team that comes along and it's brought so much awareness to the sport of what what diversity could look like and every time I walked by that pit during practice and even during the race there were hordes of young girls standing behind there at an Indy car race at the Indy 500 and they were sitting there every time anybody would do anything they were cheering because you know why Marshall they could see themselves wow. in that person so if you have an African-American that's there, people are going to say, oh, look, it's not just a sport for old white men. They're going to see this and say, oh, maybe I can do it, too. They see the Pareto mechanics and they're like, oh, my gosh, look at that. I can do that, too. So Marshall, I had chills and maybe even a tear in my eye when I saw that during the 8500. As focused I, as I am on everything else, I took a moment to absorb that. Oh, that's a beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, another little note here. This is from Elliot uh, Zentelman. I don't know if I've had a question from you before, Elliot. So if not, thanks for uh, sending one in for the first time. He says, no questions for Kara, but as a hashtag girl dad, I hope that when <laughs> my daughter is old enough, we can go to an IndyCar race and she can meet awesome women in racing like Kara. So yeah, we're going to point the mirror back at you a little bit. So the, uh, the women, the girls and whatnot standing behind and cheering the Pareto team. Uh, I hope you further acknowledge that, Hey, pal, you're doing good work too. You're, yeah. you're helping folks to realize that, yeah, maybe, maybe she's not going to be a race car driver, but she sure as heck can be a really brainiac, uh, tire engineer or similar. So you're, uh, you're helping to inspire a lot of folks as well. Awesome. Thanks, Elliot. And and whether it is uh, engineering or mechanics or even PR people, there are so many jobs for women in racing. So keep it up. Thanks. Let's close this opening theme with our friend Ryan Terpstra, who says, as someone I consider to be a role model for women in STEM, how would you uh, appraise or grade the Race for Equality and Change program now uh, one year out from its formation? And would you have any suggestions for other areas of opportunity it might look to include? Yeah, I think that Race for Equality and Change program is great. Um, I think the some of the, the things that Roger Penske is trying to do with the series and with diversity are great. Um, really getting people involved, especially in younger series and even in karting and all the way up. 
that's that's all good. I think you need to start attracting talent, especially if we're talking driving very early. And Jay Fry and I have even had discussions about, you know, how to get more diversity in engineering. I know there's some some different scholarship opportunities that that we're talking about with um, with some of the uh, IUPUI motorsports programs and and those sorts of things. But um, getting getting people interested in science early and all kinds of people, whether it's females or diverse candidates, um, getting that that involvement early and then getting kids when they're involved in carts and, and getting that interest there. It, it, all of that starts at a young age. Brilliant. Let's get into some technically minded things. And what I appreciate, appreciate as I try and use my mouth to speak words, you'd think that would be one of my core competencies. Not always. <laughs> um, let's get into some of the technicature type stuff. We love that when you're on, Kara, we get a lot of fans who hear a lot of things during the IndyCar broadcasts and don't necessarily understand all of them and want to get smarter. So it's perfect uh, when you're on because you always help uh, teach us up a little bit. Uh, Donald right. asks Kara, uh, I keep hearing the phrase tire degradation or DEG, which is uh, uh, what we tend to hear is the shorter version of that, uh, more so in recent years was wondering if maybe the added weight of the aero screen has played a part in increasing degradation. Uh, and if so, have you had to make any serious changes to compound or construction to compensate? Also says thanks for your time and coming back to the podcast. So I don't know if, if I am sticking so heavily on aero screen, but DEG has certainly become a fancier and familiar term. Watchers of Formula One races and IndyCar have really become part of the nomenclature in the last i don't know four or five years publicly it's something we've had for a long time but maybe let's talk about general stuff with tire deg kara for those who don't know but hear it what is it what causes sure. it is it good or bad and should folks yeah. try and go buy some tire deg at their local firestone store <laughs> that's right well if i'm driving my uh, audi rs4 around i don't want tire deg but if I'm racing my Audi RS4 on the same racetrack with lots of other people and you want it to be interesting, tire deg can be good. So it depends on the situation, really. Um, I remember having conversations with Will Phillips when he was the technical director for IndyCar ages ago of, we need more deg, we need more deg, we need more deg. Um, so for some racetracks, let's take Iowa, for example, if everyone had the same exact car, same exact setup, and there was no difference from the tires from when you put them on for to when you took them off at the end, it would be a boring race. But the last time we were at Iowa, that was an interesting and exciting race, at least I thought from my perspective. So we had, in that case, we had about 15 miles per hour of drop-off, which created some pretty good passing opportunities. And then you had the, a little bit of strategy there. Um, we had one race where people decided to come in and, and take tires early. And I remember taking, talking to, I think it was Eric Cowden after the race, he was sitting on, sitting on the pit lane and he was just shaking his head and he goes, I had no idea. I had no idea I should have taken tires. And it made a, a difference in the race for him. And it made that those last 15 laps really exciting. So some places you want tire deg and then that, that degradation, when we have it in a road course, you know, you want to have the alternate drop off you want them to be fast you want them to drop off because otherwise everybody would do everybody would use the primary or just the primaries or everybody would use just the alternates so degradation really what we're talking about it can be two different things you can have a tire that looks new at the end that can have what we call degradation and that's more a thermal change in the tire the tires kind of as it heats up it gets lower so it causes some drop off there and you can have degradation caused by tire wear so you can have a 
your tires close to wearing out by the end of the stint and the lap times could either stay the same or they could drop down. Some places it's really hard to get degradation out of. If you have a nice long straight like Indianapolis that doesn't really promote thermal degradation like you would have at either Texas where you're turning all the time or a, a short oval where the straights really aren't long enough to cool the tires down. So on an oval like that, um, it depends on how much you're turning versus how much you're going straight. If you're going straight a lot more, you're not going to have less thermal drop-off. Brilliant. Just add as well, Donald, and to those who are interested, a couple other factors in tire degradation. One could be the duration of use. So we're going to try and run very long on a set of tires compared to a team that might decide to run a little bit shorter. There could just be uh, the, the high usage, the high amount of mileage, the obvious forces going through the tire, the heat in the corners and whatnot. That could be something that consumes the tires from a, call it brand new, fresh and perfect to a bit of that drop off. You have driving uh, style as well. There are some Absolutely. drivers who really rely on the rear of the car to do a ton of work to make their speed. Some that rely on the front that's going to, if you think of the tires as batteries and being drained, uh, if you have a driver who's just super aggressive in how they turn the steering wheel, manipulate the pedals, really abuse the car almost to make their speed, there aren't a ton of those drivers left. That's more of an old-timey driving style, but there's still some. But for those who really beat the heck out of the car to make their speed and rely on one end of the car, you're going to see degradation happening more at that end lap times are going to reduce then there's maybe the biggest single factor and that's chassis setup uh, although these cars are identical the tires are identical my decisions and what i do from a spring rate or an arrow or a lot of other chassis setup decisions compared to my rival in the pit stall next to me have a huge influence on whether Kara and her team's fine work in making these tires delivers optimum performance from the first lap to when they pit, or if they're hitting the panic button about halfway through that stint or wherever it might be, because boy, they have uh, consumed those firestones uh, sooner than would be desired. So I wish I could yeah. say, Donald, that it's one thing. Oh, that's that's going to cause tire, de tire degradation. Oh boy, as as you try and manage the best you can, Kara, there's a lot of factors to try and figure out what happened and why. Yeah, there certainly are. And you, you brought up a great point about driver setup. Do you know who the best driver I've ever seen on very, very soft tires was? No. Alex Zanardi. He could drive anything. We could bring we could have brought an option tire back in the days when we had option tires that was entirely too soft and Nobody else could drive it. It would wear away. It would degrade. Everybody else hated it. And Alex is like, this is the best thing ever because he was such a smooth and precise driver. If you looked at his steering traces, if you looked at his throttle traces, he was so smooth. And that's why he get, could get the best out of any set of tires. And the softer they were, the better they were for him, but the worse they probably were for everybody else. So that was, that was a, he was a great driver on those. And actually the aero screen does have some effect more so on the road and street courses. It actually puts a lot of thermal wear into the front tires. So great question, Donald. Awesome. Let's see. Uh, where should we go? Kevin Pinkston says, Carol, what kind of challenges come up going to a new venue like Nashville? It's a great ah. question too, because there's not a single IndyCar lap 
in anger that's been turned there. So he says, I don't remember hearing about an IndyCar test in Nashville. That'd be fun, a street course test. I'm going to sign up for that. Uh, he says, or is the tire package from, say, a St. Pete or similar go-to solution? Um, and he's also wondering when Firestone is going to start building uh, some great tires uh, for amateur racers like him. says he'd love to run Firestones. Uh, well, I tell you what, you know, Marshall, if you can hold off traffic across the bridge, you know, we'll go out and try to put some laps down. <laughs> Let's call somebody at the city of Nashville and Bridgetown's really, really big in Nashville. We'll see if we can make that happen. I like it. Um, but yes, there's a lot that goes into trying to figure out what tires are right for a venue. So we would start by working with the, with the track promoters. Um, and in this case, um, we, we work very well with the, the, the guys that are putting this together. So we, we talked to them, we asked if they had any simulations for for the race track um and then in some cases not in this one but we would work with honda and chevy to see what their simulation data is and we got some data from from them um, but what we really uh, for a place like nashville is it's going to be pretty similar to some of our other street course venues it's going to have a lot more braking capacity and braking demand because there's a lot more stop and start at this venue than there is a lot of the other a lot of the other tracks so you're going to see, see a lot more longitudinal when i mean longitudinal i mean driving and braking demand out of the tires so we looked at the simulations that had been run um some basic tire data then we looked at uh, we call it pie data which marshall's familiar with it's basically all the channels that come off the car we can analyze those and compare them yeah compare them to some of our, our current racetracks and based on that we decided that this is the right Try tire to bring for this venue. So in that case, yes, we are, and yes, we have. And then Kevin, the other part of your question, more tires for amateur racing. I am all excited about that. One of the things, one of the projects that we're working on right now, in fact, where I was this morning, is we are building a new technical center, the the or new tire manufacturing center, our advanced tire production center in Akron, Ohio. Um, we are complete with the building shell. We have our two first two tire assembly machines in place. We've got our first couple presses in place, and we built our, our first tire that passed all of our high-speed durability analysis. So um, we're getting the plant up and running, and we're really, really excited about that. But the nice thing about that is there's more capacity, so we can look into things like amateur racing or other series. So um, right now, out of Akron, we're just building tires for the Indy Autonomous Challenge and IndyCar, but we have the ability to build more. So um, keep asking great question i love to hear it <laughs> and as we spoke about yeah we might not have indycar races for about a month but yeah there's a little ongoing project that's been happening that you've been a big part of and uh trying to grow firestone's uh new production facility and do all kinds of cool stuff so yeah not a lot of uh not a lot of rest but awesome potentials here why don't we go to a uh, jeremy rupert and uh, john brost ask somewhat similar questions jeremy says what are the decision criteria for bringing the same compound tire used previously uh, at a track versus bringing a new compound? So maybe that piggybacks off a little bit about the uh, Nashville discussion, but is that a feel thing from your team? Is that a feedback from drivers that might be testing these items? Plus your thoughts, curious, uh, let's model off of what we have somewhere else versus let's go something brand new at whichever track. Yeah, sure, Jeremy. That's a it's a good question, and it's what one of the questions that our engineers get paid a lot of money to figure out every every race week. So we have uh, mechanical engineers that work on the structure of the 
oval tires, uh, the road course tires and the street course tires. And part of their job is to try to figure out what design is going to be best for which racetrack. So one of the things that we've heard from the race teams is we don't want to have eight different sets of specifications for road course. It, it makes it really difficult to compare one versus the other. Um, we want to make sure that the tire is right for the course. As, as engineers, we want to make sure the tire is the best tire it could possibly be for the course. But we also want to make it not too difficult on the engineers when they're setting up the car. It's nice for them to go from mid-Ohio to Portland um, or other, other courses like Long Beach to Nashville and have one known. So we know the tires are going to be the same, so we can set the car up around that. Um, we also try not to make too many changes mid-year for something like the street course tires. If we if we make a change during the year, that's something that they they don't have as constant. So uh, keeping the tires as constant as they can as we can is helpful for both the drivers and the teams. But we always want to make sure we're listening to the advice and the feedback from the drivers. And again, if you talk to a bunch of drivers, you're going to get a bunch of different ideas. Um, some some people will will say one thing, and some people might turn around and say the exact opposite thing. So there is a balance between, between trying to keep things as consistent as you can and continually trying to innovate. So this year with bringing a new plant up online, we have a lot more of, of similar tires from last year to this year. Also, COVID was another thing that we, we ran into last year that we had a lot of tires that we had initially built for that 2021 season that we had been able to move into the 20, or the, from the 2020 season that we were able to move into 2021 in the first part of the year. Um, it doesn't make sense. We, we are really... Uh, cognizant of what we do with the tires after we use them. Um, they go to an alternative waste facility to be burned as fuel, but we know that building a whole new set of tires when we have some other tires that we can use is not necessarily great for the environment. Yeah. So we're trying to uh, make sure we we balance all of those things. So there's a lot that goes into it, um, but a lot of it is based around around driver feedback. And not just driver feedback, um, we listen to what IndyCar says. If, if the race is a, a great race or if the race needs some help, um, we'll try to help out there as well. Let me go to John Brost's question. He says, as fans, we're sometimes told care that Firestone's bringing a new tire that's maybe a little bit softer, or maybe they're bringing one that won't wear out as fast as maybe the previous uh, iteration. He asks, do teams get any more hard data on those changes, or do they have to just bolt them on and figure it out? Hope for the best. <laughs> well, that's a great question, John. And I'm so glad that I have very smart chemical engineers and chemists that work for our race team. So they've come up with some metrics that we will share with the both the drivers and the engineers. And before every race, we have a control tire. And so let's just say our control tire, if we're talking road course, would be the first road course of the year that we race. So what we would do is we, we send the, the data to some teams, and it's got a um, how, how hard this tire is compared to last year, um, what the grip level is going to be, how much it will wear compared to the control and the previous year, and then that rate of temperature rise. So we were talking degradation earlier, what that rate of temperature rise is compared to something early in the year compared to last year. We've been 
really lucky to have great relationships with our teams and our drivers. And what one of the things that we've tried to do is host all of everybody out in Akron. Well, with COVID, it may have been virtual, but we'll try to host all of our, our teams and we always invite the drivers for feedback. And um, that's one thing, you know, as, as engineers, as an engineer myself, more data is more better. We always <laughs> want more data. It's, it's helpful. So instead of saying, ah, it's a little bit more grip or it's a little softer or it's a little bit more durable or, you know, the best it's got more grip and it wears better we can actually give them these metrics based on compound testing data that helps them drive their decisions i love so it. so great question john yeah absolutely john thank you uh more maybe more question for kara the uh the person who loves competing than as a a representative <laughs> of your employer next from our pal carlos villalobos who asks would you embrace a tire competitor in indycar and if so there be any thoughts on rules uh, to maybe limit things from becoming a uh, let's explode reasonable budgets uh, to create a tire <laughs> war? So, again, I know you're not here as a spokesperson for Firestone's future racing wishes, but does the idea of getting back to uh, more than one brand supplying intrigue you, or are you loving uh, being the uh, uh, best opportunity in town? Well, Marshall, I'm going to take my Firestone hat off for a minute. My Birchstone hat. My I Firestone just heard it happen. Yeah, I just I'm going to take happen. that off. Um, it's it's on my desk. I just set it on my desk. Um, I as as an engineer and as somebody who competes not only with cars but with physical activity, triathlons, running, ra- racing, it is always really fun to see what you have compared to the competition and i know for our teammates at bridgestone when we would come in after kicking goodyear's butt at a at a indycar race all the teammates were excited and they were you know what are we going to do what's happening in the next race it generated so much excitement for the teammates and for the engineers it was it was you know you were down and dirty engineering let's let's throw all these designs Let's let's do all these simulations. Let's figure out what tire is going to be the best and the fastest and everything. So there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of fun um, in that competition. Um, putting my my Firestone and Bridgestone hat back on. Um, but when you have competition, it's it's more that you have to invest and it's more cost. It's more cost for whoever's competing and for the other person that's competing. Um, so there's there's always there's always things to weigh when we're looking at competition. But just at, purely as a as an engineer with all of my Bridgestone and Firestone hats on, and as somebody who is a highly competitive person, all oh, that would be a lot of fun. Awesome, uh, Justin Ford. Gonna learn a little bit here yet again. He says, Kara, could you please explain the difference in scrubbed tires versus sticker tires and what is happening by scrubbing them to make them last longer? Um, Asks also, at what point does a tire go from being scrubbed to used and how can that be measured? So it's another big area that uh, fans hear about, but probably are just going, okay, I hear words. Could you define what's happening a little bit? All right. Well, Justin's a good question. Um, when I am talking to either sixth grade science students or adults that are learning about what, what makes a race tire work, I always talk about the tire as something like a brownie. Um, just like the brownie, we have to bake our tires. And when you when you press a tire into a mold, it's heat and pressure applied. You've heard of the term vulcanization. It cross-links the rubber, makes the rubber from something that's gooey and flows to something that's tough and strong. And during that process, it heats up, it creates those cross-links, it makes that compound strong. And then at some point you stop curing. You don't want to you don't want to overcook it. 
So you pull it out of the mold and now it, it's cooked. It's not going to go back to the situation it was before. You can never unbrownie a brownie. We love brownies, nice and maybe a little bit gooey in the middle. That's my choice of brownies. Well, now I'm hungry. See, Dustin, to what you did. So we have that brownie that's, that's, that's mostly cooked. You know, you take it to the racetrack, and um, if you want to make it just a little bit harder, or a little bit more durable, if you put a, a, a scuffed and or a scrub, there's like, I guess there's a few different terms that we throw around. Scuffing, you might just put a one lap on it to scuff, but if you're really truly scrubbing the tire, you're going to put a couple hard laps in it to put a heat cycle in it. Now, that heat cycle continues the baking process, so you had that brownie that was perfectly cooked. Now, I have a little bit of overcooked brownie, but in this case, this brownie is going to last a little bit longer so that's that's when we talk about a scrub tire usually what we're talking about is a very short heat cycle let it get lets it get up to heat temperature and then lets it cool down that versus used tire you might have a tire that you use during a qualifying session where you are using every little last bit of the performance out of that firestone tire for the the four or five laps that you might be running qualifying you're all out and you're really putting a lot of a lot of wear and a lot of work into that tire it's past a heat cycle so in my mind that's a used tire versus a scrub tire and scrub versus stickers it depends on where you're at if you're at a, a track that puts a lot of heat in your tires or if you want to toughen your tire up a little bit you would scrub it um, otherwise you might use stickers there's other times where you might want to scuff versus not scuff a lot of times teams might for Indy 500 might scuff just to make sure everything's all all set with all of their their sets of tires um, so there's a lot of different reasons that you might do that but that's kind of a scrub tire versus a, a used tire versus a sticker i would also just throw in from my own experience on the engineering side that in efforts to scrub or scuff there is an intent and a, a clear mission given to the driver do not take performance away from yes. the tire life while doing this. We are, as Karen mentioned, we are sending you out to achieve a clean and happy heat cycle, not yes. a, and wow, boy, I pulled 97 G's through turn four. <laughs> and you go, yeah, that was cool. But guess what? You just wore out the tire a little bit. And uh, but so, um, yeah, bit of a flat spot it. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> see all the smoke pouring off. Wasn't that cool? No, don't do that. Uh, last couple here, uh, Brian Smith. Oh, you're bringing up the maybe most hated acronym and three letters in the tire world, at least oh, from no. IndyCar. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> P J one. Um, <laughs> This feels like a rabbit hole and almost a second episode we'd need to do. Uh, why don't we just keep this one a little light and quick here? He's just asking, you know, given the fact that at least at Texas where we race, NASCAR and the track have made it clear they intend to keep applying that material to the track and we're going to have to live with it. Is there anything he's asking steps Firestone can take to improve compatibility between your tires and a track that has a compound meant for a different brand or is this just one of those things where you've come to accept not always going to be optimal and awesome when we go there? So Brian, great question. And I wish there was a simple answer for you. I think un unfortunately, PJ one can work with heavy stock cars because first of all, the weight of the car um, and the amount of cars that they have, they have the ability to slowly rubber in that PJ1. So they slowly, slowly work their way up car by car, lap after lap, 
and slowly they will rubber that line in. The cars are very heavy, so they can put a lot of work and they can leave rubber down and it has to be hot rubber. So you can't just drag tires and hope it sticks. Um, you, you have to actually put laps at speed and you have to slowly work your way up there. Stock cars can do that because there's he- they're heavy and there are a lot of them. Unfortunately, with Indy cars, yes, there's a lot of downforce, but the cars themselves are not as heavy and we don't have as many and we don't have the time or the number of cars or the amount of load on the on the actual tires to be able to work our way up into that line. Could we design a tire that worked on on just the PJ1 surface? Sure, but you know what? It's on the, in the outside groove. So if you design a tire that only works on the PJ1, once you get down lower, it's not going to work so well. From our measurements last year, there's about a 15% difference in grip between the bottom line and then the PJ1 surface. So there's not a lot of reasons for drivers to go up in that line unless they have to. Um, and again, with uh, the, the weight of our cars and the, the number of them, we're just not going to work that line in. So we would love for a compound change or something to be able to, to fix the PJ1 issue. But unfortunately, it's more about the weight of the car, the number of cars, and how much you're able to work that work the rubber into that PJ1 material. Mentioned the pandemic earlier, mutual friend, family, the uh, Vincent Anderson, the Anderson family, he and his wife, their daughter. I know they uh, love to come and see you each year at St. Petersburg. Uh, Vincent says, what lessons did you and Firestone learn during the pandemic? Uh, And is there anything in the the current state of a slightly reduced pandemic that has informed or changed whatever it is you might do? Sure, Vincent. Um, I appreciate you always have great questions for me, great questions for Marshall. Um, And yeah, there are are absolutely things that we're learning to do maybe more efficiently. Um, The honestly, the use of virtual design tools is also always something that we've been doing, but even more so during the pandemic. Um, And even how we meet and we talk with teams, one of the things that came up during the the pandemic and even beforehand is how do we make sure we get input from all of our drivers in an even and fair manner instead of me going and talking to maybe I talk to Sebastian Bourdais every race weekend, but I forget to talk to Ed Jones and I get Sebastian's input, not Ed's input. Um, We want to make sure that we're talking to all the drivers evenly. So during the pandemic, we weren't able to, after every session, go up and talk to the drivers. So uh, we were able to come up with a standard universal feedback form that each driver and team would fill out everybody is equal weighted and it was it's still nice to go up and talk to the drivers but during the pandemic you couldn't walk up to them take your mask off and shout in their ear (laughs) it's pretty much exactly what you're not supposed to do during the pandemic so we're we learned some uh, good ways to communicate so of course we, we pushed tire designs and development and we learned a lot in our manufacturing process but really in streamlined communication how we talk to the drivers how we learned information um there's been a lot of lessons learned you know when we were going into the pandemic as a company we thought all right this is going to be tough but there are quality valuable lessons that we're going to learn while we're here that are going to make us a better company on the other side so um, i think whenever you have adversity of any kind if you can go into it with a mindset of all right we're going to come we're going to come out stronger on the other side so that's that's one example vincent there are there are so many examples of things that we've learned from so great question and great mindset all right, got one make people smarter question and then a fun one uh, to close. Why don't we uh, open with Rob Roten, who says, Kara, we often hear talk about, quote, track temperature and its effect on lap times. He's curious, how much of this is the effect uh, on grip between the surface of the track and the tire itself? 
And how much of this is maybe the ambient temperature immediately above the track and its impact on, say, aerodynamics and downforce uh, due to reduced air density? Great question, Rob. And actually, you hit on one of the things that most people forget about when we talk track temperature. Uh, most people assume when we talk, we're talking track temperature, all right, the only thing that touches the track surface are those four round and black firestones. But you're absolutely right that there, because you have that that high uh, temperature in the track surface, you are changing the air density, and it does change the aerodynamics. So, really, to answer your question, it depends on the, the surface. It depends on where you're at. Um, if you're at a at at an oval, that effect, the arrow effect might be bigger if you're talking a street course um, where you don't quite have um, as much or you have slower speeds, it might not, might be more the tire. So there's there's definitely an effect of both, and it really depends on the racetrack you're at. But great question, Rob. We're going to close with our pal Andy Merrick, who, uh, if you aren't following at Merrick Speed, M-E-R-R-I-C-K Speed on Twitter, you're missing out because he's a, he's a lovely curator and, and thought instigator when it comes to indycar he says kara what are some of the new tire technologies whether it's materials manufacturing processes simulation etc that people may not know about uh or maybe some fresh new things or things on the horizon coming that could influence your world in terms of new technologies and say the next 10 years so all right we're putting getting the uh crystal ball here and we're looking into the future but are there things you've got your eye on and your team of like, hey, that's an interesting new material, it could be a whatever. What do you think might be coming in the years ahead and how you do your job and how you make those Firestone IndyCar tires? Yeah, certainly, Andy. Um, great forward-looking question. I like it. Um, there, Bridgestone is really focused on mobility. So mobility solutions, um, trying to make sure that we are doing the right thing for the environment and also trying to make sure we have a, a really thorough, connected tire. And one of the things that we're working with on the passenger side is sensors and tires. So really having a connected tire, um, having the ability for your car or the algorithm that we put in your car to let you know when it's time to stop and change those tires. Now, IndyCar tires are a bit faster than your average truck bus radial tires or some of the passenger tires that we, we, we run. So the amount of impact that a sensor on the tire is going to have in a race tire is much, much higher than when I'm talking impact. I'm talking the actual uh, G load of the, of the sensor striking the ground when it goes around. Um, so there's, there's some things that we're working on to try to see what we can do to make an integrated tire as part of the vehicle system but if you look at the bridgestone's future it's more of a, a solutions future so we're, we're focused on tires fo- focused on technology but we're also looking at integrating the tire as part of the vehicle and as you know on indy cars tires are very much part of the vehicle when we look at the the whole tire system we take some data off of the tire whether it's temperature to predict performance or pressure to know when how the tires are coming up and when to come in and pit so we, we look at all the data that's off there but i think andy in the future what we're going to look at is is sensors embedded in the tires um more smart tires that sort of thing so um it's hard to put into racing because again we're on that 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 cutting edge of of innovation but it's it's such a high speed high durability need that we have out of these tires so those those are all things that we're looking at you have just set my mind alight, Kara. I love the idea of sensors in IndyCar tires, some sort of little AI. I'm not sure exactly what, but it has to be connected to the dash. 
and the tires have to have the ability to heckle the drivers. Like you lock oh, a, you good. lock a tire going into <laughs> turn one in the Indy GP road course. It it senses that localized spike in heat, fires some sort of well that was embarrassing onto the dash. <laughs> or uh, you know you can set the threshold uh, after four of those messages. It puts up please install a different driver. <laughs> right? I mean this <laughs> could good. be That's fun. Good. Oh, this we can have fun. some fun with that, Marshall. I, I really love that. When we when we first started using our, our lasers at the racetrack to to look at the tire shape and tire profile, we'd have somebody bring a tire in and the driver would swear up and down. I did not flat spot it. And you put it on the, the laser system that measures the, the profile of the tire. And there you see it's a very clear flat spot. So, um, yeah, data doesn't lie. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to submit my a request to write those messages granted then it, <laughs> then the tires start sending back messages like do you see that idiot reporter track side that guy does not know what he's talking about so it'll go both ways we'll, we'll call you we'll call you oh boy always truly always a joy to have you on i apologize again for uh for there being so much time since the last and uh, hopefully we'll make sure to have you on here before too long and keep this uh fun engagement with indycar fans and making all of this smarter with every visit all right. Well, thanks so much for having me. And thanks so much for all the listeners for sending in such great questions today. And yeah, let's make a look for the year next time.